You're here today. Those of you who are in person and those of you who are online, welcome. Really glad to have you. A few announcements today is that today in the afternoon we have something called Crafternoon. So if you're artsy and crafty and you would like to come do crafts with others, we invite you down uh, back to church and to fellowship and do crafts with other people. Next, we have the church campout. If you're interested in going camping with your fellow church members, uh, please contact Brian Carley or Pastor Kevin. Oh, he's waving. This is Brian Carley if you'd like to go to the campout. Um, to, tomorrow, there are two events happening. There is women's Zumba. So if you're interested in moving and a little bit of dancing, um, it's really fun and it's a good workout. So if you're interested in that, that is happening, I believe, at 1 p.m. And there is also the neighborhood meal that is happening tomorrow. So if you'd like to help with that, please contact Selena. And last, next Friday, we have our youth Bible study at the Meridian House. So if you're a young adult, please come join us for that. And now I will invite you to stand and greet one another and pass the peace.
bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to be in this space and we are able to talk about you and worship you and try and love like you. And we pray today that as we hear the message that we would be reminded that we are here to tell people about you and what you did and your love for us. In your name we pray, amen. Today's offering is for the Washington Youth Education. This is from their website, thewashingtonconference.org. It says, the youth department's mission is to empower young people to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ and become actively involved in ministry and in the life of their local congregation. Programs such as rallies, retreats, and training events are offered throughout the year. Would the deacons please stand? Heavenly Father, we pray for the offering that is about to be taken up. We pray that it would double and triple and that it would be used to help encourage the youth to be part of their churches, to grow the church, and to spread your love. In your name we pray, amen. boys and girls, young and older. So glad to have you with us today. And I want to start off with a question. If you think you might know the answer, raise your hand. Do you know what a goat is? Okay, let's go, Andrew. Okay. Andrew is actually right on. It was a set-up question, because I thought all of you would be thinking of the farm animal, goat. But I'm also referring to what Andrew was saying. Goat stands for the greatest of all time. When I was growing up, I thought that I was a goat. When it comes to running, I thought I was the fastest. When it came to football, I thought I was the best. Same thing with basketball and hockey. Now, if I was to say to you, did you know that I'm the goat? I'm the greatest. What kind of person might you think that would describe? 
the kind of like a, yeah, what would you say? Competitive. Competitive, and I was also going to say proud. That might be kind of arrogant or boastful. It might be something that you would be like, why is that person so cocky? Not something that you would necessarily like. Now, I want everybody to stand up just for a second, if you're willing. And I want to see how fast you're able to run in place. So don't run down the aisle. Just run in place. Because remember, I used to say I was pretty fast. I know some of you are pretty fast, but we have people watching. Let's see who can run in place the fastest when I say go. One, two, three, go. Okay, okay. That was very fast. Sit back down. And I'm going to tell you a story about when I was humbled and I thought that I was especially fast. This comes when I was in fifth grade. Anybody here in fifth grade? Okay, Ethan's in fifth grade. So look at strong Ethan. He's fast. He's strong. Um, That was me, fifth grade. I was fast. I was strong. I had youth, no gray hairs at that point. And um, we were on vacation in Hawaii. We were with my grandma and grandpa, and my grandpa, he liked to spoil me. And in the morning, I would get up really early, and when we were in Hawaii, he said, hey, Kevin, do you want to go get some donuts with me? And I said, no, grandpa, I don't like donuts. Do you think I said that? I said, of course, let's go get some donuts. And we would walk in Hawaii to this donut place, and we would smell the delicious donuts just being freshly baked. And it was in fifth grade Again, I thought I was the goat, greatest of all time, fastest kid in school. That I realized I might not be the fastest person in the world because on the way back from donuts, my grandpa challenged me. And he must have been, I don't know, in his 60s at that point. And I thought he was really, really old. Now I realize 60s is not that old at all. But we were going back from donuts and my grandpa challenged me and he said, Kevin, do you want to race? And I said, sure. And he said, okay, first one to that door, it'd be about this distance all the way to the back, wins. And I'm like, Grandpa, I got this. But you know what happened? You got it. And I was running as fast as I could, and that 60-year-old man beat me. (laughs) And I became humbled. Now, I want you to see on the screen, so if you turn a little bit, I'm going to show something in just a minute. I'll give you the, the, the cue. And I was just talking to Danelle this morning. I forget. We might have shown this before. Ethan might have shared this in a children's story, but it's worth showing again, even if we have. And this is at the Atlanta Braves, the professional baseball team. They have this guy called the Freeze who dresses up in his costume, and he gives anybody that races him like a massive head start, a huge head start. And we're going to see in this scene, this person begins to celebrate because he thinks, I beat the freeze. Do you think he actually beat the freeze? We're going to watch it, and then I'll wrap up the children's story. So go ahead and play it now if we have it. Okay, look, huge head start, huge head start. Freeze is waiting. And and watch, he's getting close to the end. He looks back for a second. He's like, okay, I got this. And he's going to start to celebrate because I'm going to beat the... Yeah, go, go. Oh! (laughs) There's a Bible text that speaks to this moment. He's like, I'm the greatest. I beat the freeze. And the Bible text is Proverbs 16 and verse 18. It says... Here it goes. Watch it again. <laughs> and he ends up in the dirt. Proverbs 16:18 says, "Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall." So, humble humility means even if you are pretty fast, even if you're a really good cook, even if you get straight A's in school, you don't need to brag about it. You can be confident in it. And realize there's always more things to learn. And even if you were fast like me in fifth grade, your grandpa might be even faster. Or even if you're pretty strong at wrestling, 
your mom might be able to beat you even still. We can, you can try on that sort of a thing. So at this time, boys and girls, let's grab our blue buckets and pick up for the In As Much Fun. with me. Dear God, we're thankful for this building. We're thankful for the representation that's inside this building, our community. We're thankful that we have this consistent group of people with common threads that hold us together, but differences that add depth and richness. And we're thankful for each other, and we're thankful to be here together. Thank you for the rain, and we know that it adds to the beauty of this area. And we thank you that you have these themes of humility and wisdom, and we're thankful that humility can allow us to have a better bird's-eye view and give us that gift of humility that we may have a broader view. And we pray for those on our prayer list in our community, and we lift each one up to you that you may send your Holy Spirit to comfort them, send others to comfort them, and send us to comfort them, and may we lift each other up always. Thank you again for this day and this time that we have to be together. Amen. Listen as wisdom calls out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates, at the entrance to the town, on the road leading in, she cries, I will call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me. For I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right. For I speak the truth and detest every type of dissection or crookedness. My words are plain to anyone with understanding, clear to those who have knowledge. Choose my instruction rather than silver, 
and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with it. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Common sense and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. Because of me, kings reign and rulers make just decrees. Rulers lead with my help and nobles make righteous judgments. I love all who love me. Those who search will surely find me. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. What is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Knowledge is knowing what to say, and wisdom is knowing when to say it. Montaigne once wrote, We can be knowledgeable with other men's knowledge, but we can't be wise with other men's wisdom. That's because wisdom isn't a body of information. It's the moral quality of knowing what you don't know and figuring out a way to handle your ignorance, uncertainty, and limitations. If you've been following the political landscape over the last, I guess, couple of decades, you may have observed that humility is lacking. The politicians declare that they and they alone have all of the answers. They pontificate about the problems of the other side and seem to lack awareness and the introspection of the shortcomings of their own. It makes me think of something that Bertrand Russell once said when he wrote that 
the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wiser people so full of doubts. Part of being wise is recognizing our own limitations. We can't always fix everything. We won't know all of the answers. And humility is related to authenticity in this way. Humility is not denying our own strengths. It's being aware and open about our weaknesses. C.S. Lewis put it like this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. When I was pastoring in Idaho, I listened to this uh, conversation amongst pastors, sort of like a State of the Union address, like the State of the Church, and it came from the Barna Group. And I was really impacted by something that they described as the four essential keys of those that have humility, four characteristics of true humility, and I'll put them up on the screen. When you are humble about your knowledge, you won't be overconfident. Number one. Number two, you won't become defensive when people have different perspectives than you. Number three, you'll constantly be open to revision. I believe this, but I might be wrong. And if you find out that you are wrong, it's as simple as adjusting. Number four, you will respect the viewpoint of others. What if that was the default position of all of our leaders in the political sphere. Have you ever noticed that humility is no longer seen as a virtue within much of our culture? We live in a world where ego gets attention, but modesty gets results. Where arrogance makes headlines, but humility makes a difference. Which means that all of us, leaders or aspiring leaders, face questions of our own. Are we confident enough to stay humble? Are we strong enough to admit that we don't have all of the answers? That was the question posed by the Harvard Business Review a couple of years ago in an article entitled, If Humility is So Important, Why Are Leaders So Arrogant? There's clear evidence that humble leaders outperform arrogant leaders, and yet... Leaders at every level have a hard time checking their egos at the office door. Why is that? In his book, The Road to Character, David Brooks may provide part of the answer. He writes, We have seen a broad shift from a culture of humility to a culture of what you might call the big me. From a culture that encouraged people to think humbly of themselves to a culture that encouraged people to see themselves as the center of the universe. I'm going to put up a couple of his statistics on the screen. Again, this is one of my favorite all-time books. I've mentioned it before, The Road to Character. And he says this, Between 1948 and 1954, psychologists asked more than 10,000 adolescents whether they consider themselves to be a very important person. At that point, 12% of people said, Yes. The same question was revisited in 1989, and this time it wasn't 12% who considered themselves very important. It was 80% of boys and 77% of girls. Psychologists have this thing called a narcissism test, and they read people's statements and ask if the statements apply to them. Statements such as, I like to be the center of attention. I show off if I get the chance because I am extraordinary. Somebody should write a biography about me. The the narcissism test questions. The medium narcissism score has risen 30% in the last two decades. 93% of young people score higher than the middle score just 20 years ago. The largest gains have been in the number of people who agree with the statements, I am an extraordinary person, and I like to look at my body. Along with the apparent rise in self-esteem, there's been a tremendous increase in the desire for fame. Fame used to rank low as one of life's ambitions for most people. 
1976 survey that asked people to list their life goals, fame ranked 15th out of 16 possible options. By 2007, 51% of young people reported that being famous was one of their top personal goals. In one study, middle school girls were asked who they would most like to have dinner with. Jennifer Lopez came in first, Jesus Christ came in second, and Paris Hilton third. The girls were then asked which of the following jobs they would like to have. Nearly twice as many said they'd rather be a celebrity personal's assistant, like this guy named Justin Bieber, for instance, than the president of Harvard. Now, to be fair, the president of Harvard may prefer to be Justin Bieber's personal assistant himself, but it shows a little bit of the way that culture has shifted over the years. Look around at popular culture, and you will find this same message everywhere. You are special. Trust yourself. Be true to yourself. Now, there's good within this, right? We were created with value. You are special. But repeating this message again and again at all levels comes with a price. Movies from Pixar and Disney are constantly telling children how wonderful they are. Commencement speeches are larded with the same cliches. Follow your passion. Don't accept limits. Chart your own course. You have a responsibility to do great things because you are so great. This, I present to you, is the gospel of self-trust. The shift can even be seen in the words that come from pulpits, from megachurches across the nation. And I'm going to put this image up on the screen. One of the famous megachurch pastors, I'm sure you recognize him and his smiling grin. This is Joel Olstein from Texas. And in his book, Become a Better You, he writes, God didn't create you to be average. You were made to excel. You were made to leave a mark on this generation. Start believing. I've been chosen, set apart, destined to live in victory. A lot of that sounds true, can even ring true, but what I want to push back on gently today is this. The path to wisdom doesn't always look like that. We go through hard things. Loved ones die. The road isn't always easy or even intended to be. Sometimes it's the mundane, daily grind, the hard things, losing a loved one, getting sick, having financial stresses. These are the things that produce character on the road to wisdom. As Robert Frost would say, sometimes taking the road less traveled makes all the difference. Wisdom is cultivated over a lifetime. This is part of the reason why you can't be wise with other people's wisdom. It's gained in the school of hard knocks. It's gained by investing one day at a time in relationships that matter. This week on social media, on Facebook, I was scrolling, and I don't recommend it most of the time, but every once in a while, you come across these little gains of threads of wisdom that stand out. And this came from a friend who shared this poem by Diane Lomans called, I Had My Child to Raise Over Again. If I Had My Child to Raise Over Again. And she says this, If I had my child to raise over again, I'd build self-esteem first and the house later. I'd finger paint more and point the finger less. I would do less correcting and more connecting. I'd take my eyes off my watch and watch with my eyes. I would care to know less and know to care more. I'd take more hikes and fly more kites. I'd stop playing serious and seriously play. I would run through more fields and gaze at more stars. I'd do more hugging and less tugging. I'd see the oak tree in the acorn more often. I would be firm less often and affirm much more. I'd model less about the love of power 
and more about the power of love. If we could go back in time, all of us would change things. We have regrets. If we had a a do-over opportunity, we would take it. But what I want to share with you today is wisdom is becoming content with who we truly are. Not defined by our past or our future. Not defined by our age or superficial characteristics. But the inner part of ourselves that makes us tick. We all have regrets. We all have some things we wish we could do over and choose differently this time. Wisdom acknowledges this reality and responds with love and forgiveness for others and for ourselves. It seeks to heal the inner part of the soul. Ralph Waldo Emerson put it like this. What lies before us and what lies behind us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. And I think, I, yeah, let's put this slide up on the screen. This is a really important concept. Um, this is an archbishop that said, Thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. Anybody who's been successful in life has not done that on an island. There's always been some person that's invested, that's helped them along the way. And when we are thankful in recognition that we can't do this thing on our own, the pride that says, I can do this, I have this, I am sufficient in and of myself goes away because thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. I was reflecting on this in regards to our own church community a couple of weeks ago. Because I was visiting somebody that had just lost his wife. And this person exemplified a thankfulness even within the sorrow of that moment. It was a testimony to me about the power of the principles that come in following this book and this God. In the midst of tears, in the midst of the pain, he expressed again and again how thankful he was for this community. The meals that were given, the prayers that were said, the people that phoned and picked him up and took him to the hospital. He had just lost his wife, and he was still crying and hurting within that, but he exuded a thankfulness that created a peace and a hope that if you did not have, you'd be left with just the despair. And it reminded me, again, that What we have as Christians is ultimately hope within our failures, within our loss. You might have read this poem of the mother that said, If I could do, have my childhood again, I would do things differently. And you might think, regret after regret. Wisdom comes along and says, I have today, I have right now. And no matter how I've fallen, no matter how I've fallen short, there is forgiveness for me and for others as I seek to heal that inner self. When Ralph Waldo Emerson was 61, he wrote in his journal, Within, I do not find wrinkles and used heart, but unspent youth. Wisdom enables a joy that transcends limitations. Wisdom responds to the moving of the Spirit. And in the Bible, the Spirit of wisdom is described in feminine terms. In the series on wisdom that we've been doing, we started by looking at the wise men who brought their gifts to Jesus. But now, as we conclude, I want you to see that wisdom itself is personified as a lady. Read with me on the screen or in your Bibles from Proverbs chapter 8, And we're going to break this section down. So Proverbs chapter 8, and I'll start with verses 1 through 8. Proverbs 8, verses 1 through 8. Listen as wisdom calls out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop, along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates, at the entrance to the town, on the road leading in, she cries aloud, I call to you, to all of you. 
I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. My advice is wholesome. There is nothing devious or crooked in it. Wisdom and the path to wisdom is the path of common sense. It's the opposite of pride, which pride is controlling when you have to continually prove that you are the goat, greatest of all time, that you alone have all of the answers for the church, for the country, for your family, that you alone have it all figured out. That is pressure that nobody can live up to. The Bible gives this affirmation that says, All have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. I look at that as good news. Because if I had to measure up to some standard, uh, we think that person has it all figured out. If, if I could only be like that guy, like that girl, if, if, if I only had that job, if I could only play the piano like this, sing like that, dance like that, then I'd be satisfied. But those standards and those measurements leave us feeling empty. And in fact, people that have arrived at the mountaintop, they get there and they sometimes feel less fulfilled than they did before because they wonder, is this it? Humility is freedom because it's the recognition nobody has this thing all perfectly figured out. As we continue through Proverbs, picking up in verse 9, it says, I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance corruption and perverse speech. Common sense and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. My words are plain to anyone with understanding. Clear to those with knowledge. Choose my instruction rather than silver and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you could desire can compare with it. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment as well as enduring wealth and justice. My gifts are better than gold, even the purest gold. My wages are better than sterling silver. When you seek, you will find. This is the words of Jesus. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened onto you. If wisdom is about the inner parts, what's happening on a soul level then if we want it, as we search for it, and as we respond to the conviction that God gives us and surrender to the mistakes that we've made, we will find freedom. And we will find that no matter what we have done, what mistakes have been made, there is healing even on a soul level. The great danger for all of us, youth and adults, is not that we will make mistakes. We most certainly will. Given our natures and the conditions in which we live, there is no getting around that. The great danger is that we will live unaware, unresponsive, unbelieving. The human task is to live completely, to live out that unspent youth that is still in us. We are unfinished creatures when we were born. Growth is the task before us learning how to use our muscles and emotions and thoughts. Deep within us are instincts to have a complete and expansive life. As the biological phase is completed, there is a transition to something inward. The wise listen to Lady Wisdom. They respond to the promptings of the Spirit that tell us to apologize when we are wrong, to forgive others their shortcomings, and even to forgive ourselves for the ways that we have fallen short. Pride keeps us from the peace that comes with forgiveness. Humility is the path. It is the recognition that all have fallen short of the glory of God, and it rests in the assurance of God's forgiveness. Lady Wisdom says, Seek, 
and you will find. As we go into the next month, Pastor Raven and I have a new series that I am excited about. We're going to share testimonies from many of you, and we are going to share different ways that we've encountered and experienced God in our lives. My hope and my prayer for this church community, as we grow together, we will be reignited with that first love, the thing that made you come to church in the first place, the thing that keeps you coming back for more. What does it mean to be a Christian in a polarized world today? How can we find the peace that passes all understanding? How can we live out the fruit of the Spirit? So that we can be like that man that even in the hardship of his life was thankful for the good things that still remained. How do we have hope even in the midst of apparent failure? We're going to talk about these things, testimonies from some of you. And as Pastor and Raven and I speak on the different ways that you can encounter God together. So please continue to come to church this next week, even as it rains and starts to get warmer Continue to come, share your gifts, fellowship, community with one another. Grace be unto you. Pray with me. Dear God in heaven, this is our prayer. Be our vision. Come together with us in this community, and may we walk in the path of humility, generosity, and love. Go with us now, and we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.